Hello, everyone. Hello, world. I want to welcome you to another edition of Mr. Speaker Speaks. You know, it's the podcast that informs, challenges, and inspires. This is real talk from real people about real things. And you know, the show is called Mr. Speaker Speaks, but it is the show where the guests actually get a chance to speak. Learn more about me at VincentTEdwards.com and you can join the online community at VincentOnDemand.com. But you know, I always say life is all about purpose and do you know yours? That is the key. Today's show is brought to you in part by Gabrielle Consulting, the organization that transforms lives and organizations by improving motivation, performance and learning, but most of all, leadership. On the internet at GabrielleConsulting.com or by phone at 850-321-8222. Transforming Lives and Organizations, Gabrielle Consulting. I just want to welcome everyone today. We got a great guest and guess who it is? It is Dr. Gabrielle Gabrielli. She is going to share with us her story. You want to be informed, you want to be inspired, and you want to be challenged today, you need to stay tuned because this is going to be a great show. You know, like always here, we always go before the Lord in prayer, and then we have an inspirational verse of scripture. Let us pray today. Heavenly Father, we truly thank you for this day, how you've allowed us to make it through and to overcome. Even if we've had challenges throughout the day, you showed yourself faithful and gave us strength to endure and strength to overcome. Now I just ask that you give us your peace that passes all understanding right now and guide this conversation so that any and everyone that listens to it, that hears it, will walk away with at least one thing that will not only change, but transform their lives so that they can become better in every area of their life. I'll give you all the praise. I'll give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Our inspirational verse of scripture comes today from the book of Colossians, the third chapter, beginning at verse 12. And it says, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness, that whole concept of love. And my guest today, she is an award-winning author, consultant, speaker, trainer, facilitator, a woman of many, many trades and masters many, many trades. But most of all, she has a heart of compassion and genuinely genuinely cares and helps people. Loves pets. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Does she love pets and animals? I, you know, I, I, I love her to death. And so without any further ado, I'm going to introduce to some and present to others. The one, the only, the world-renowned expert in leadership, Dr. Gabrielle Gabrielli. How are you doing, doctor? I have no complaints whatsoever, my brother. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it is so good to have you back in the studio once again. And I want to start this off because we're going to talk about you today. We'll get into a little bit about what you do, but we want to get into who you are, especially at the core 
But when you look at all of the women that you know um, by relationship or read about, what is one woman that has inspired you the most past, present, the one woman in history that has inspired you the most and why? Wow, that's a good question. So many women have inspired me. Um, when you're talking about history, wow, they're, I'm kind of speechless right now. This is a tough question. I think of everyone from Dr. Maya Angelou, who I absolutely adored and had the honor of meeting in person at Florida A&M University. I love her work. I love her heart. I love the way she inspires even after her passing. I think of people more more recent and I think of people in the past who have stuck their necks out. Really, those are the kind of women that impress me and inspire me are ones who have defied their expectations and maybe have ruffled some feathers in the process to speak up for injustices and to make right wrongs that other people have done. And so I, I, you know, probably a hundred names are coming to mind in history. In my personal life, I would say my great grandmother and her daughter, my great aunt Mimi, have just been spiritual guides for me more than anything and, and a constant in my life. In my life, um, my great aunt Mimi passed away last year at 102 years old, almost 103. Wow. Yeah. So I was fortunate to have had her and her mother for most of my life. My my uh, my nana, her mother, lived. What to be stories did you learn, or oh, what did goodness. you learn from her? 102 years of history. Yes, almost 103. She was just shy of 103. She was amazing, and her mother was such an outspoken, you know, um, woman who. Again, stood up. She was an immigrant. Um, her mother was an immigrant um, from Italy. And um, by all accounts, she was a slave. She was um, ha- she was forced into labor, but she was known for her seamstress skills. Um, and she, she just did what she had to do uh, with forced labor for many years. And then she was freed and was able to live a life that was pretty spectacular working for, you know, some of the biggest designers in California, New York. So it's, it's just interesting how she overcame and she was so strong that she rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, including people in my family. But I always saw the soft side of her. I always saw the kind side of her. People thought she was too tough. She was too outspoken. Um, she was hard, but fair. huh? I thought I, I love Loved her. Absolutely. Still love her, you know, and I actually wear this uh, crucifix around my neck that she gave me when she was 90, 92 years old. She gave it to me from around her neck and it had been blessed by the Pope and, you know, and I wear it every day without fail. And it just reminds me who she was and how she inspires me. And even on her deathbed, she had some profound things to say. I remember visiting her. She lived in uh, North Miami Beach. And I remember visiting her and just listening to her last really words to me that just stuck with me. Can you share? Yeah, it was kind of interesting because, uh, you know, I would say I thought maybe she was a little out of it because she started sharing a recipe. And now she was known for her cooking. As am I. <laughs> but she she started sharing a recipe and she started talking about the ingredients and 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 I was I was confused like why is she talking to me about a recipe? And then she said, "This is a recipe for success, and I want you to be successful, and I don't want you to ever 
have to depend on anyone. I want you to make sure that you can take care of yourself and you can, you know, make your own way in life. And this is a recipe for success. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so. so did you write that recipe down or did you put it in I put photograph? It, I put it in my head and I, and I, I always thought to myself that I need to take care of myself. And, and through the trials and tribulations of the years that followed her words, uh, stayed with me and I knew that I needed to find my own success and and what I uh, found was that success to me changed from the time I was you know 20 years old to maybe 30 years old and 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 beyond and and um, I do think that I found success mm, found success in finding success being that it, it did change from your 20s to your 30s that must have been a journey mm -hmm. let's start from the beginning what was it like growing up? Did you have brothers, sisters? What was it like growing up and where was that? I grew up in the military, so I lived <laughs> all over the place, mainly in Florida, thankfully, mainly in Florida, including um, Panama City and Satellite Beach, but also Germany and Ohio and New York and Delaware and you name it. We were all over the place. Um, so I didn't really have a hometown. I called Satellite Beach uh, really my hometown. Is that's the place I identified with the most as my hometown because I lived there for a whopping, you know, six years, which was a record. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's actually only four years and then two half years, but still, it was it was big for me. So I do have one brother. He's a firefighter in Atlanta, and mm. I don't have any sisters that are blood sisters, but I have a lot of sisters. You know? <laughs> I have a lot of them. I'm thankful for them. Yes. And life growing up was, it was probably different than most people experience being a child of a military father who was deployed, you know, two of the first. What branch? Air Force. Okay. Uh, two of the first six years of my life, he was gone. He wasn't there for my brother's birth. And, you know, it, it was just interesting. It was just different. And What impact did that have on you, him being absent? I think it was very difficult. And I think it was difficult for my mother, who is an immigrant from Scotland. Uh, she, when I was little, didn't drive. She didn't have a driver's license. She didn't understand American culture. She, you know, she struggled. And then to not have somebody there to help her. Her and to be in a country where she didn't know anybody, I think was really, really difficult for her. And so for me growing up, I kind of, as young as I can remember, felt like I had to be the responsible one in the family because my dad was, when he was there, he was not there. He was, you know, playing baseball and bowling and, you know, he was playing all the time. My dad <laughs> always had this kind of young, playful spirit. He was so did he ever take you with him? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we got to go to a lot of baseball games and a lot of bowling tournaments, but mainly baseball games all over Europe, especially when we lived in Germany. We got to travel with him. But I would say, you know, there was a time when we didn't see a lot of him even when he was living with us. Mm. And I'm sure it was difficult for him to, you know, being a young dad and having all these responsibilities and, you know, coming back from a one-year deployment and not really... You know, I'm guessing, you know, I'm not really maybe reconnecting with his family, but my dad always had a positive attitude about everything. And I think that for me, I just um, always appreciated what I had, but I just felt this strong sense of responsibility toward my mother who, for and you know, at least in my mind, um, she always struggled. She always needed help with things. She always 
struggled. She had a lot of fears, even simple fears. Growing up in Florida, she was terrified of thunderstorms and electricity. And we had, you know, thunderstorms all the time. Yeah, Florida. I mean, (laughs) especially in summer, down south, I mean. Kids, go unplug everything, you know. (laughs) (laughs) You know, being like four or five years old, running around, unplugging everything. um, But I did just feel this sense of responsibility. And so I kind of stepped up and was the responsible one in the family. So you're you're the oldest? Only by a year, but yes, yes, yes. So you're a big sister. Big sister. Mm-hmm. So what was the relationship like with your brother? Well, I would say because we were so close in age, we, you know, we fought a lot. And, but boy, whenever anyone would pick on the other one, we would stand up for each other. And we, we were picked on a lot, especially when we moved to Ohio. Um, we were both bullied a lot because we were outsiders and there were almost daily uh, incidents of being beat up, me and him. Um, and I just remember a neighborhood kid who just would beat him up all the time. And I, you know, I would go through the cornfields in Ohio and have a big bag of corn. And I just try to, you know, smack it on the other kid's head who was on top of him to get him off. And, you know, we, we stood up for each other, even though we bickered with, with each other. So. Wow. So did the bullying ever come to an end or? Bullying only came to an end when I left. Um, so, we, my parents were divorced when I was 12 years old. And so half the year we lived in Germany and half the year we lived um, in Ohio. And uh, personally, I never felt connected to Ohio. I felt like an outsider the whole time I was there. And it was my first experience ever um, seeing things that I had never seen, like racism. I had never experienced that growing up in an enlisted, you know, community of the military, which was very diverse. Um, And then going there, it was just very, very difficult. And so, ah, yeah, we, um, we, we weathered through. And as soon as I was 17 years old, I got the heck out of there. I couldn't wait to come back to Florida. And I only, I was heavily recruited. I scored extremely high on the ASVAB. And um, so you didn't go to the military? I was heavily recruited to go into the military. Um, So my mechanical score on the ASVAB was really high. Off the charts. Off the charts high, and especially for females. And so I was. very much recruited but having lived that lifestyle for that long and having been separated from my dad you know and watching the relationship between my parents be impacted um, by the distance and everything else it just didn't feel like it was something I wanted to pursue at the time so I decided to go to college I thought college was my ticket out of poverty and that kind of goes to a whole other chapter of my life but yeah so I lived two different lives um, in Europe and then in Ohio. Ohio was extreme poverty. And so when you, you turned 17, you said, I'm going to go to college. You got out of it. How did that impact your mother? What were the feelings there between? Because you felt the need to be protective and, and to take care of her. But then all of a sudden you leave and you left her. What impact did that have on her and you? Well, my brother was still there. I don't think it was a huge emotional impact on her because she was used to me being away because I was away half the year already in, in, uh, in Germany. Financially, I struggled, but I still always sent money home to my mother. And so I think it maybe helped her. And then I would just hop in the car <laughs> and drive like I, I would I would I was working 72 hours a week. But if I could manage it, I would 
leave Tallahassee and I would drive overnight, you know, and go visit her. So I actually don't think that it had a huge impact on her that I left. Um, I think she knew that I needed to leave. And my brother stayed longer. So she had she had him and they have a, a great relationship, too. So you leave to go off to college at 17. And then I just heard you say working 72 hours. Mm-hmm. Where did you apply and get accepted to school? Well, the interesting thing is that I was, um, I got a lot of recruiters trying to get me to go to their schools, but I had it in my head from the time I was four years old and we drove by um, Florida State University. We drove by and uh, we were driving, I think, to Satellite Beach, you know, and I just remember saying like, Daddy, what's that? And he said, that's a college. I said, what's it called? And he said, it's Florida State University. I said, I want to go there. He was, he said something like, we'll see. Um, you know, and it just st- st- stuck in my head. And uh, oddly, that's the only school I applied for, which is just nuts if you think about it. But I did. I, I wanted to go to school there. I had it in my head. I didn't even know we were the Seminoles, though. I didn't know anything. <laughs> I didn't know anything about, you know, the legacy. I didn't know. any. so I applied to FSU. I got in. Um, I also applied to Florida A&M University. I got in. I did a co-op program with uh, went to both schools um, for journalism and um, believe it or not, I was very shy. I'm like extremely shy and introverted. And I chose that. With all the travels <laughs> yeah. abroad. And yeah, yeah. I, intro- I, yeah. And so I, you know, the travels helped me adapt to different environments very easily, but I was still so insecure and I don't know that I felt like I belonged anywhere because I didn't really have a home and I didn't really feel connected to anywhere. And then I came to Tallahassee and um, it took me a while to adapt, to be honest with you, but I loved both schools instantly. Both of them just love and still to this day, love, love, love. FAMU and FSU. Yeah, I know you are. You are. Die- <laughs> I love them both. <laughs> you yes. are a diehard. So, so you moved here. You didn't know anybody really. Did no. you live on campus? Have your own place? And- so I lived on campus initially um, for the first year. I lived in Jenny Murphy Hall in an unair conditioned dorm, which was brutal um, on the top floor, which was even more brutal. <laughs> Uh, but ultimately I couldn't afford to live there. And so I ended up living in an apartment, um, for the second year. And then I had a roommate who kind of moved out over the holidays without telling me she had fallen in love. Um, but she kind of left me with the bills and, you know, we were splitting the rent and everything and I didn't have the means. And so I started using a credit card to get cash advances to pay my rent. And it didn't take long before I was in over my head. Nobody had ever taught me about finances. Um, and I ended up being evicted and I, uh, lived in my car after that for eight months, eight months in your car. Yeah. And I didn't know until 10 years later that it was called homeless. (laughs) I really didn't know. How did you overcome? Because I heard you said you started working 72 hours. So I worked the entire time I was living in my car Wow, and going to school and going to school because I had to pay my way through school and I didn't want to come out with a lot of debt. Having lived in poverty for, you know, most of my teenage years, really from ages 12 um, forward, especially, I just didn't want to repeat that pattern. We were struggling. We were we were really poor. And, you know, we lived off of potatoes if we got them. And um, when we got a little 
extra money. My mother would buy white bread and she only knew how to prepare potatoes one way. That was English chips. And then, um, you know, she would make uh, chip buddies if we had the bread, white bread. It was, you know, potato sandwiches, basically French fry sandwiches. Yeah. So, so that, and that was like a real treat. Many times we, you know, we were hungry. We were, we didn't have um, electricity all the time. A lot of times it was cut off because we didn't pay the bill. We didn't have the money to pay the bill. We didn't have running water. You know, it was, it was a struggle. Through all of that, how did that shape you as an individual? For me, I thought that I didn't want to live this lifestyle and to repeat history because my family on both sides really had poverty throughout history. Um, and I didn't, I just knew that education was going to be my ticket out of poverty. That's like, I had it in my head from a young age that that's what I needed to do. And what I'm hearing is that you made a conscious choice because a lot of times people take the victim mentality and they get caught up in this cycle. Well, my mother was poor, my father was poor, and it just goes on and it loops and it loops and you get in this continuous cycle with generations. But I'm hearing that you made a conscious choice to say, this will not be me. Yeah. What was the one thing that said, you know, because we have these things, oh, I don't like my situation, I don't like this, but there's that one thing that's that, that life-changing moment. What was that for you in the midst of poverty that said, education is definitely my way out. And for me, I will tell you, I grew up, my father was in lawn service and we worked outside in the heat in South Florida. I said, I'll learn how to do this, but I am definitely going to college. (laughs) That was my trigger. It's Uh like, I'll learn how to do it if I have to do it to make a living. But if it's my choice, I'm going to college and I'm getting the office job so that, that in, the air conditioning. in the air conditioning so so that was the, that that life-changing event mm-hmm. for me what was it for you to say education is key and I'm getting out of this you know I kind of go back to the influence of my nana my great-grandmother and thinking about what success is and I don't think a lot of kids my age at 17 were thinking about what is success, but she implanted that in my head. And from, you know, from the time that she was able to really, she always talked about being independent and being able to take care of yourself. And so I kind of feel like even though my parents never pushed me ever, ever pushed me into anything. And, and you know what, I'm thankful for that because they never, they never put any pressure on me to, to do anything really to be in a relationship, to have kids, to get married, to go to school. They never made me feel like there was anything that I had to do to make them happy. But I had this just innate sense of responsibility to myself and to maybe even future generations to, to break the cycle. So, and I probably, if you talk to my dad, he would say that, you know, that he was happy happy and didn't feel poor. Um, But my mother, I know, felt poor, very poor. And um, so I think also it's the approach of of what is your attitude about your circumstances, you know. So my attitude about my circumstances was that I faced a lot of adversity with poverty, but it made me appreciate absolutely everything that I had. And so I knew that if I worked hard, that I could overcome. Wow. We're hearing a story today. It kind of reminds me of um, a song by John P. Key that's called Life in Favor. And there's a verse in there that says, you don't know my story. And today we are really finding out the story 
about Dr. Gabrielle Gabrielli. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come right back. Just want to let you hear something from a friend of mine, Travis Sparkman at T-Spark Enterprises. Let me tell you what T-Spark stands for. It stands for strength, commitment, teamwork, and heart. We don't ever quit until we've got nothing left to give. Our team is unstoppable. Want a guaranteed win? Call T-Spark Enterprises for your next roofing or construction project. We conquer all peaks. T-SparkConstruction.com. License number CCC1331204. Travis Sparkman of T-Spark Enterprises. Great guy. Doctor, what would you say to a young woman that's listening now who feels that there is no hope? right now what would you say first I would say I'm so sorry that you're feeling no hope because it's a terrible feeling and I felt it myself Uh, just because I have a positive attitude now and I feel like I'm successful doesn't mean that I've always been that way and there's nothing more debilitating than feeling hopeless and helpless so let me just tell you this you have the ability to change your story in your life you're in a chapter now that's very challenging you're in a chapter that's heartbreaking you're in a chapter where you don't feel like there's necessarily anything positive that can come out of tomorrow but I can tell you that there is hope and if you persist and if you really ask for help from the right people, including mentors, you know, get involved, give to others to receive. Like I know a lot of people who feel hopeless, but when you start to volunteer with people who maybe even need more help than you do, it opens your eyes to how blessed you are. And so I encourage you to reach out for help yourself. Number one, there are a lot of resources out there to help you. Um, Number two, get involved in your community by volunteering. It could be your church community. It could be nonprofit organizations, something you're passionate about um, that will give you a sense of purpose. And then three is is find a mentor. Um, Maybe it's somebody you already know who you admire. Maybe it's somebody you don't yet know who you admire. It doesn't even need to be somebody that you ever have contact with. One of my first mentors was John Maxwell, and I had never met him at the time. And he was my mentor for many years. I read his work from my early 20s. I read it and about leadership, and ultimately I joined his team. And now, you know, I, I get to see him in person. And But for years, he was just a mentor because I read his work, and it was inspiring to me. So there's always hope when you think that there's no hope. There's always hope. You just yeah. have to reach out. Well, and I guess the fourth thing that I, I think is important is faith. And I think that when you have faith, it does help a lot with hope. And so if you don't have faith, I would encourage you to attend a church service or get involved with any kind of you know spiritual work spiritual guidance to help you um, have a sense of purpose in the world. Eight months in your car. What lesson did you learn there and what made you say, I've got to hurry up and get out of this situation? You know, what's interesting is that I didn't count down the days and I didn't know how long it was going to last. And I, I didn't even know it was homeless. Like I mentioned, I just knew that it's something that I had to do. I was thankful I had a car. I was thankful I had a roof over my head. I went to the gym and I showered there and I went to my classes and I was exhausted. I actually had insomnia because I was pretty stressed out 
working that many hours and I was carrying a full load in school and, you know, but I knew that I just needed to keep moving forward, even though it was hard. So what would you do to come out of that after eight months? Were you saving your I money? I was saving money because I didn't have any rent to pay, right? I didn't have any utilities. So I was saving money and I was paying down debt because I mentioned the, I credit, card. the credit card debt. And, um, and that was a painful lesson. I, I learned the hard way because nobody taught me about finances, um, how foolish it is to get a cash advance to pay your bills. You know, it just gets you in the cycle of, of not being able to ever catch up. And so I, I paid down my debt first and then I started saving. And um, once I had enough that I felt like it, it was comfortable, I found some roommates and, you know, we got a, like a four bedroom house. There were four of us. And so it was, it was affordable. And, and I knew that if one moved out, <laughs> like what happened before, that it, we'd probably be okay if there were just three of us paying the rent. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's what I did. And it wasn't easy having roommates, I'll have to tell you, especially when you have four of them. <laughs> But was it better than living in your oh, car? Oh, yeah. It was way better than living in my car. Yeah. So ultimately, you graduated. And what happened after that? Well, because when I was working, what happened was I went to my academic advisor. Again, very meek still, very shy. And I had this appointed advisor named Donna Ned in the College of Communication at FSU. And I went to her and she said one of the most impactful things of my life, you know, because I, I said, look, I know that it's really competitive to get into the College of Communication. What do you suggest that I do to, to help? Um, and she said, what are you doing for work? And I said, well, I'm working graveyard shift at Hardee's. I'm doing telemarketing. I'm doing, you know, I'm working at Rose Printing Shop. To and she's like, well, you've got to get experience in the field. I'm like, well, who's going to hire me? I, I I don't have any experience. She said, start cold calling people. And I'm like, oh, gosh, that's not going to be a pleasant experience. She said, just do it. Just cold call people. And so I did. And I cold called every radio station, every TV station, because that's I knew that's what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And I got a lot of rejection until I reached WFSU and uh, they said, come on in, you know, well, let's do an interview. And I actually got two interviews, one on the TV side, one on the radio side, and both ended up hiring me at the same time. <laughs> and so I learned so much from that experience. And I'll never forget them. Like I am so grateful that they gave me a chance and um, I started with the most grunt work possible, you know, and it was okay. I learned so much about the industry and so much about myself and it, it helped me kind of get out of the shy thing. It also helped me build up a lot of skills. So by the time I graduated, I had three solid years of full-time experience working in the field, which put me above most of my classmates. So I was hired as a full-time news reporter while I was still in college. I was 20 years old. And so that was pretty incredible, really, um, to have that opportunity. And I didn't even apply for the job. Someone heard, heard me on the radio and said, have you thought about being in television? I said, yes, actually, that's what I've been wanting to do. And <laughs> the rest is history. I did that for a year and then decided that, you know what, it helped me overcome my fears. It helped, it helped me with everything I needed, but it wasn't something I wanted to do the rest of my life. And so I, I transitioned after that into other things. So when did you realize what your true purpose in life was? Was. Probably pretty early on. I knew that I couldn't do what I wanted to do without overcoming fears. And so having the journalism background helped me with writing. It helped me with confidence. It helped me with the ability to speak. 
and not to be terrified speaking in front of people. And so my, I, I started a business, by the way, while I was, while I was homeless, <laughs> I started a business. Um, and I don't know where the entrepreneurial side of me came from. Uh, I just, I think I was just such a go-getter. I was like, I've got to just do whatever it takes to, you know, to make a living. And so I started a video production company, which I had for 10 years. And, um, and I, I worked in the video production company while I was working as a full-time news reporter. And, and then I continued that business while I worked. In when did you jobs. sleep? I didn't sleep much. <laughs> <laughs> sleep, was, sleep has never been my strong point. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And so after all of that, so you continued your education. I did. So television, radio, your own production company. Mm -hmm. You went back to school. I didn't go back to school. I stayed in school. School. I continued, even though I was working full time. You stayed in school. I did. I went straight from my master's degree in um, mass communication, media communication, and marketing research. And then for the PhD, I transitioned into educational psychology and learning systems instructional systems. So you went straight through and got it all. Straight through. Yeah. And I worked full time in some pretty responsible positions, including head of training and development. At, and this was in my 20s as a, uh, you know, head of training and development at a state agency. And um, gosh. Uh, professor at the U.S. Military Academy. Uh, so how did you get to the Military Academy? I was kind of recruited there, too. I, I'm really fortunate that my work was seen by others as good work. You remind me of my grandmother. She would always say, you know, let the works that I've done speak for yeah. me. And so in the, in the Bible always says your, your gift will make room for mm. you and bring you before kings and great men. So I, I guess your gifts just ultimately took you to higher heights and deeper depths. Well, and here's the thing about gifts. Uh, most of us are not born with these gifts. We have to work hard to get them. Well, I would say you can develop them. Further Absolutely. develop them. Further develop them. It would well, good example is that I was never a good speaker. I was terrified. In, in high school, I remember giving reports and I was the kid with my hands planted on the podium and sweating and my heart rate was so high. I had no idea what I said and I couldn't wait for whatever I said to be over with and it probably made no sense. And when I was done, I, I didn't even remember what I said. I, I hated speaking because I was so self-conscious and I was so insecure that I didn't want people to even look at me and uh, certainly didn't think that my voice needed to be heard. That's, that's, you know, it's just so amazing to hear your story, knowing you, I didn't know you then, but I've known you for so many years yeah. now, but I would never thought that you were a shy person. Oh yeah. I Introvert, mean, shy. Yeah. From, the, from all the teaching and instruction you do. And I mean, she does so many things. We, the time won't even permit us to go into all the things that she does. She's even a scuba instructor. And I just had to <laughs> throw that out there. If you want to learn how to scuba dive, you can contact her as, as well. All of this training traveling military academy ultimately from what i see that you know working for someone else was not for yeah, you right <laughs> yes that is absolutely true especially when i was working for you know state government and academia and it just hey if you love it go for it for me i had some very bad supervisors i had some good ones too who were mentors and who were awesome but the bad ones made me realize that this was not the environment that I needed to be in. And it just definitely was not my passion. I worked hard. I gave 110% while I was there, but I knew that that was not what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. Those were some 
trying times and to say, hey, don't want to do this. Don't want to do that. Here's my gift. And I think I want to take my gift to the world. So when did you start your consulting company and go full time? And we're going to talk about that because out of that was birth Leadership Academy. And you're really, really passionate about leadership. So I mentioned before that my business kind of evolved. So it started as a video production company. And then I started doing web design as part of it and web design and development. And as my education progressed, so did my skills and my passion and my interests. And so it really happened when I was at the U.S. Military Academy working on my dissertation. My my academic advisor and uh, major professor, uh, Robert Branson, uh, was very supportive and tough. Boy, he was tough. Um, he recently passed away, and he had such a tremendous influence in my life because before him, I had an academic advisor who, who really didn't challenge me. Like she would read my work and she would say, it's fine. And um, he would read it and he would red pen it and say it was terrible. And I realized that that was a gift. Like he was giving me a gift in this feedback that hurt my heart, you know, because I needed to hear it. I needed to hear that I could get better. And so I got better. And the more f- negative feedback he gave me, I worked harder and learned more. And and a lot of it was switching my writing from journalism to research and academic writing. And so I I started reading books and working and and then he said that it was really good and that made me feel great. Like I had I had done it. I was making him happy. And it just kind of clicked after that. And then he said, do you do any consulting work? I said, actually, I've been wanting to do that, but I'm thinking, you know, after I'm done with the degree. And he goes, well, why not sooner? I was already working like, you know, at this point, probably 80 hours a week at West Point and uh, working on my dissertation full time. And something just told me I needed to listen to him. And I said, okay. And it was a psychometric project doing consulting work. I would be the project manager. And uh, it was, I remember it was for the Department of, of Children and Families. And I, I accepted. And uh, apparently I did pretty good work right away. And he liked it. And so we worked together for many, many years. And I credit him for me starting the business. And when he, you know, really starting the consulting business, so uh, he said, what do you charge? I didn't have a clue. Like not a clue. And I'm sure it was very much lower than it should have been. But I was grateful for the opportunity and everything from then changed. So now you do it all when it comes to leadership. What is it about leadership that makes you want to just do it all the time and, and teach it? What is it about leadership that you really want people to know and understand? What keeps you up at night about leadership? Well, first, people don't need to be in a position of leadership to be a leader. A leader is somebody who positively influences other people. And that could be in their family, in their church, in their community, or in a job. It could be anywhere. Positively influencing other people and even themselves, positively influencing themselves is being a leader to me. And so I have just seen so many examples 
of people in positions of leadership who lack leadership, who lack leadership skills, who don't treat their people in a way that enables their people to perform to the best of their abilities. And so I feel like leadership is everything. Leadership will make or break an organization, a church, a home. And so to me, I'm extremely passionate about it because as I've started to work more with helping people develop their leadership skills, I've seen their lives change for the better in every way. And they might come to me with just career stuff, but they leave with lives that are more improved, you know, their personal lives as well. With so many schools on leadership, what prompted you to start the Leadership Academy? I know you teach on it, but you started your own academy. Tell us about it, what it's all about. Why did you start it? And what makes it different from other leadership organizations? Well, I found that organizations were hiring me and paying me a good amount of money to come in kind of piecemeal and give a class or two or three or 10 or whatever. And I I, I really like in education, there's something called scaffolding, where you're building on previous skills in order to apply the skills that you previously learned and then make them even better. And so I just didn't see that there was a program like this. Um, I was in Leadership Tallahassee, but that wasn't about building leadership skills. It was about building leadership connections more than anything. And I am a supporter of Leadership Tallahassee and love it. And you know, I'm a lifetime member that I support it so much, but it didn't have the ability to actually develop leadership skills. So I started this program initially with um, in a partnership with Tallahassee Community College, and I had this idea to have it be a one-year program where it would have scaffolding. It would be 12 months. It would include um, mentoring and coaching and um, classroom and I'd get to cook for everybody that 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 was a big part of it <laughs> but uh, it just right away was very successful and I wanted to keep it small and um, you know TCC wanted to make it bigger and I, I was pretty adamant about keeping it to less than 12 people so that it would be group coaching and you know a lot of one-on-one -on -one, um, small group really intimate uh, people supporting and lifting each other up so um, we very amicably decided to part ways and I continued it on my own and um, I'm just so happy with it it's since COVID it's been virtual and so we're able to have participants outside of the the area and it's been extremely rewarding watching people's lives transform and helping them transform their lives what does your future look like Ooh, that's a good question. <laughs> so you mentioned I'm a scuba instructor. I see myself continuing to do leadership work, but I have this other passion of wanting to help um, people with disabilities. And I have a nonprofit organization called Life Worth Leading. And my dream that I'm going to make reality is that I want to build a warm water aqua therapy center for people with disabilities, chronic illnesses, um, injuries and other conditions that would help them. Um, and it would have three heated pools, very well heated pools, one deeper for a scuba and two shallower, one for physical therapy for humans and the other one for animals. And um, that's my dream. And I would, I want to make it a training center for uh, people with disabilities so that it's not just going to be about the aqua therapy center. It's going to be about helping people with skills because they're the number one underemployed segment of the population, unemployed and underemployed segment of the population. I just think that people um, who are differently able deserve the same opportunities as everyone else. 
So now I'm going to go deep on you with something I think I learned from you. What are you doing to make that happen? I'm I'm working a lot <laughs> in the nonprofit. In fact, uh, yeah, the, the nonprofit is more than a full-time job right now, and I intentionally do not pay myself, and I have a program, a leadership program in the nonprofit organization where I help people. I uh, have a, a lot of scholarships for veterans, uh, combat-wounded veterans, veterans with disabilities, and that has been so rewarding. But I, I, um, I also serve other people with disabilities who are not veterans. And the leadership program helps people develop their leadership skills as well as their scuba skills. And they then um, have to give back. And as they give back and they work their way up through all the certifications, um, they're mentoring people who are coming into the program. And so it's it's been extremely rewarding. And I, I see this continuing and, you know, Every time that I teach um, able-bodied people, uh, do pay tuition, and then that goes into you know the, into the nonprofit with the hopes that I can continue to raise funds. I also want to get the word out about Life Worth Leading and and hopefully um, get some donors. I don't want to partner with and people have said, why don't you partner with so and so? And I don't want to do that. I I want it to be accessible to everybody. So I don't want any limitations on you know what has to be. If it, if, for example, if I partnered with the city, there would be a lot of restrictions. Or if I partnered with an academic organization, there would be. I wanna, I wanna make sure that it's accessible. And uh, so, who, who, who would be the person you want to reach out to right now to say, hey, would um, be donors, any donor. kind of donor, any amount would help. And and so, how would they get that money to you? Uh, Life Worth Leading. Just Google Life Worth Leading. Um, we have a Facebook page, and there's a donate button on the Facebook page. But um, so, how much do you need? <laughs> I mean, so you know, we're putting it out there. You know, 10 I mean, million would be nice. 10 but. million? Okay, put it in the atmosphere. You never know. You never know. Hey, a million people listening to the broadcast. Hey. A million people give you 10 bucks. You got it. I just, I just feel so strongly that it's going to transform people's lives in profound ways. And, you know, there are a lot of people who have chronic illnesses, for example, um, things like multiple sclerosis and rheumatoid arthritis and not always disabilities you can see that would benefit from it. Spinal cord injuries, um, you know, uh, just, oh my goodness. I, uh, the, the, the list is kind of endless and we don't have anything like that here. We have a couple of private gyms that have some limited facilities, but I want to make it accessible financially, too. I want to make sure that people who don't have insurance or don't have money are able to come. And so I don't want them to have to worry about not having money to come and use the facility. So that's a big part of what I want to do. All right. And everybody that's going out there on the Facebook page, <laughs> and when you make that donation, let her know you heard about it right here. Ah, thank you. On Mr. Speaker Speaks, the show that informs, challenges, and inspires Oh my goodness, that would be just a great place. And I believe that there's somebody that's listening today that's going to make that donation. Doctor, my goodness, time is just getting away and I'm learning so much about you that I didn't even <laughs> know. But bringing this to somewhat of a close, looking at your entire life from birth to now, what would you say was a key or the keys to your journey of success? Wow. <laughs> you have the best questions. I think more than anything, it's just learning to believe in myself and trust myself. And so when I talk about, you know, being a leadership coach, speaker, trainer, and then I talk about scuba, it sounds like they're not connected at all. And 
For many years, I kept both lives completely separated, but the truth is that they're very much connected. They're about getting people out of their comfort zone, getting them more confident in themselves, um, getting them to learn to trust themselves and do things that they never thought possible. So the key to me was finding that connection. It was almost an epiphany, like, wow, here I thought I had these crazy unrelated interests, but in actuality, it's all tied together. And it really, in both cases, it's all about leadership. You know, I said leadership is positively influencing other people, but it's also positively influencing yourself. And so many problems in the world are caused by people not believing in themselves, lacking self-confidence confidence, being insecure and having fear. And those two things cause many of the world problems, many problems in organizations, many problems in families and in relationships. Because when people have fear and insecurity, they do things that are not healthy for them or for other people. And so with both of, of the things that I do with um, the nonprofit and the business, it's about getting people out of their comfort zones and into their strength zones and learning to believe in themselves and trust themselves and be the best possible version of themselves. All right. So is that your pitch? Because I'm going to ask you. Yeah, that's pretty much it. That's all I got. That's all you got. Well, let's close with this part. So how would they contact you if they want a person that can come into their place and transform their life, their organization by improving motivation, performance, learning, but most of all leadership? How would they contact you? The best way to contact me is to go to GabrielleConsulting.com, spelled G-A-B-R-I-E-L-L-E, Consulting.com. And then my email is Gabrielle at GabrielleConsulting.com. And I'm going to give you somewhat of the last word. What matters most to you? What matters most to me is feeling like I'm making a difference in the world, whether it's fostering animals, <laughs> which, well, I was which you I was, know firsthand yeah. I think I've fostered 780 something so far um, who probably a lot of them would have been euthanized if I hadn't fostered them and found them homes um, so making a difference in the world with animals with people with things that I do um, with my actions with my words to help support other people and really you know thinking back on my life um, the things that made a difference were the people who did that for me you know when I asked for help and I got help. And when people, when I didn't ask for help was because I, I was too afraid to ask for help when people helped. And so I want to just be a helper in the world. I want to help people find their sense of purpose. And I want to just continue to make a positive difference in people's lives. I'm so glad I know you. <laughs> I'm really happy I know you too. Seriously. I, uh, I You are amazing. And um, I just so appreciate you. I mean, I just, I mean, I mean uh, you know, I love you. Love I mean, you you've too. learned. So, like I've learned. Me, seriously. I've learned so much from you. You've helped me, and you've guided me in the right direction. And you know, and I hate instructional design, but when I need something, you, you help me. I, <laughs> hey, just, you were also in my leadership academy. Let's not forget that, right? <laughs> True. Full disclosure: I was in a leadership yes. academy, and it, it was absolutely wonderful. Learned so much so much I learned so much I use now and you know hey that's my sister I'm even I used to be in radio but now I'm in podcasting so <laughs> that whole communications thing going on and you know I, I just love it and she is I mean she is a person that genuinely cares for people and if she can help you she will um, so if you're looking to transform your life give her a call if you're looking to transform your organization, give her a call. And I'm saying this from the bottom of my heart. You won't regret it because she lives what she teaches. Any last word, doctor? 
I just want to say um, how thankful I am for you, how much gratitude I have in my heart for my journey, and that if people out there are struggling in any way, I just want to let them know that there is reason for hope, and please, please reach out to people who can lift you up. All right. We're going to end on that. We're getting ready to take it home right here on Mr. Speaker Speaks. Dr. Gabrielle, it's been a pleasure. And the pleasure's been mine. I, anytime you want to come back to the studio, talk about anything, just let me know. You have the keys. <laughs> you know, they give the key to the city. You have the key to Mr. Speaker Speaks. All right. Everybody, you've been listening to Mr. Speaker Speaks. You know it's the show that informs, challenges, and inspires. It's real talk from real people about real things. Check me out at VincentTEdwards.com. And just remember, life is all about purpose. Are you living yours? Remember, and all that you do, be magnificent. And until next time, be good, be blessed, but most of all, be a blessing to someone.